Welcome, friends. Pour your favorite cup of tea, coffee, or cocoa, and settle in for Sips from the Sip from the Utica Institute Museum. Sips from the Sip is all about sharing the history of little-known people and places in Mississippi. We're serving up truth, justice, with a dollop of sass. I'm your host, Jean Green. Today's episode is the fourth of a multi-part series of readings and discussions from the book, Black Man's Burden. My guest today is Mrs. Alma Fisher. So this program is a continuation of our podcast about the Black Man's Burden. And joining me today is Miss Alma Fisher. Miss Alma Fisher is my illustrious predecessor as the Director of Library Services and Archives for the Utica campus. She laid the groundwork for our archives, and she also laid the groundwork for efforts to restore the house, the home of the founder. I am so happy that she was able to join us. Welcome, Miss Fisher. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, my successor. Miss Jean Green, it is a pleasure to have this opportunity to participate in such a momentous occasion. The first podcast, and I am elated. Thank you for having me. Oh, yes, ma'am. Today we're going to be talking about chapter two. Can you tell me a little bit about how you reacted and related to chapter two in Black Man's Burden. Chapter two of Black Man's Burden continued the early growth of William H. Holtzclaw with his parents, Addie Holtzclaw and dad, Jerry Holtzclaw, and of course their children. He is a sibling of, I believe there were six of them, Uh with the mother being married prior to his marrying the dad. We see a family, a loving family, however, a struggling family. And chapter two takes it up when Will, little Will was about four years old. And I believe that he was plowing. They had to subsist on the plantation by being sharecroppers. Uh And Will was a good plow hand because, as my parents used to say, he had eaten up all of his long white bread. And Uh when you do that, you got to go to the fields and be a contributor to your family's need. And mine did not. They have those needs. I believe his brother was the one who steadied the plow. Uh I think Bill was on the mule and the brother steadied. So it apparently was an older brother. I know he had a younger brother, Mm -hmm. but uh, I can't see a child two years old steadying a plow for his time had not yet come. If someone uh, must correct me about that age, 
then I will be very, very much delighted to get that. But mm -hmm. Will was uh, one of the field hands as he began to help his parents. And then Will also began to take his dad's lunch and mm -hmm. breakfast mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. the place where he worked the sawmill. Right. And that was a pretty tough journey for he and his little brother to go through all of those wooded areas, you know, times were where it was very dense forest, snakes and all kinds of wooded animals, I'm sure they probably saw. Mm -hmm. But uh, they did go there. And the man for whom uh, Mr. Jerry Holds the Claw worked was a man who had a sawmill and at that sawmill, they were getting as much of the wood cut and milled, ground up, and so they could go on and do it across the country. And sure enough, the man left. But before he left, he had established the schools. We know that this was right after reconstruction during the reconstructions where right. black people did not have any schools devoted to them especially the blacks in the south Correct. And of course the white men had well the white student schools had just begun so you know that these two schools were not going to marry at this time right. and this man mr weathers started a school, got a house and started a school for the black children. Mm -hmm. And it so happened that many children did not take advantage of many of the parents thinking that, well, gee whiz, these people are not going to do anything with education. They need to get a little more into politics. I don't know what they meant about that, but maybe they had seen Hiram Revels and and some of the other Black people getting into politics mm -hmm. uh, just uh, before that Reconstruction period. But uh, what happened is Mrs. Addie Hostclaw was a stickler for education. And she was a spokesperson in that household about things that were going to benefit her children the most. And she and Mr. Jerry got so deeply involved with education of the children in the area, not just their six children. They wanted everybody. But however, everybody didn't come. But the man, Mr. Weathers, had finished his work there in that particular area, and he left. That and was the sawmill, right? The sawmill. The sawmill. Mm -hmm. Exactly, that sawmill. And what happened is that Mr. Hoseclaw had been so convinced and thankful for the generosity of Mr. Weathers because Mr. Weathers was considered a man of good report. Mm -hmm. He was very, I think he was very generous and as much kindness as he could be to the black people without, of course, breaking the laws. 
The, the laws, of course, we know Jim Crow South laws and right, right. after slavery. But Mr. Jerry got some men. He gathered up these men and they went out and my, 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 did they not come back and build a house, a schoolhouse where pines, where the, uh, they split even the pine, I guess the pine poles and mm -hmm. made a school of crude. It was crude. We know that it was because it was, these people didn't have any, any professional skills. They mm -hmm. were making houses as, as the ones that they were staying in without floors. The floors were dirt floors. And, and you know what? The benches that they made in these schools were so high until I'm sure that even when the children, the smaller children stood, it, uh, the benches were above their heads. And when Will sat down, his legs did not touch the ground. And they there were some swelling in his legs most of yeah. the time. And when he would get up, guess what happened? His feet had been, it felt like as if they were had been pricked by pins. And they would hurt when, when the teacher would call on him for recitation. Mm -hmm. And so what happened is he would get a flogging. Uh, now, isn't that something? Even uh, these people were so, you know, incompassionate to the little children. And uh, the, the dad didn't like it. Of course, the mom didn't like it either. But they would get a, he would get a flogging when he got home. You know, that yeah. was that. That was just our nature until we learned better because the yeah. child was not you know he was not a very uh, knowledgeable and he was hurting but he but the mom did and i am going to stop here and ask you what was the question uh, it was not to give a summary of the book was no it? no no this is this is great um what i wanted to hear from you is what you felt and what you got from this chapter and you are summarizing it which is great because you know you're, you're bringing it home about uh how important education was to these two people it was yeah. so important that when the man who had the sawmill left and they didn't have a school Hoskar's father rallied his companions and they built one yeah and like you said it was crude but it shows that Jerry Hosaw wanted his children educated and Addie wanted her children educated. Amen. And even though they weren't educated, they really pushed that for their children. So yes, ma'am, carry on. That's exactly what I needed. Yes, and I think it was so wonderful. Thank you. I think it was so wonderful that they had this kind of, you know, innate uh, abilities just to know that education was going to uncover a whole lot of ignorance, a whole lot of conditions by right. which they were just being swallowed up with. Mm -hmm. And so they did everything they could do physically, mentally, emotionally, and just that love for the children were so great. And by that time, I'm sure they had about 
five and a six one was on the way, I believe. Ah, yes. We okay, are going yeah. to see where the children were there together. But at this time, I'm going to say the impact is great about these two people's determination and desire for their children to achieve the best that was offered in education. And they knew that with education would come the uh, successful people, a society that would eventually grow and develop into a people being aware of the world in which they lived and a world by which they could operate and be a part of that operation. Mm -hmm. And at this time, I'm thinking about the voting, how it becomes so important for us to participate in our mm -hmm. own destiny. And that I see one of the reasons why they were so valuable uh -huh. in, in the getting their children to you know, move and excel. Will was a very smart guy. He was, didn't say, well, this is his autobiography, so yeah. I can't say that he said too much about the others, but he was a brilliant young man. At this time, he was just probably about seven, maybe. And, mm -hmm. you know, something, Gene, his mother would get him. And I remember now that walking was very encouraging, but it was no more encouraging to me about him walking the three miles to school more one way. Of course, that's six miles a day for a small mm -hmm. child. But of course, I did the same thing. I would get out there and here right down in this Utica, it was area, learned area. We would go three miles a day and we had a very steep hill, as they called it and mm -hmm. some deep curves and you had to get on the on the bank when you heard an old jalopy coming because <laughs> these people would not see you and i'm sure that uh will experience some of the same things mm -hmm. uh, you probably had uh a few black people with vehicles but there were some white ones who had it and and probably had that bus kicking up dust yeah. also where the white people were going to school. I, I hate to interrupt you, Miss Al, because no. I know what you're saying. The Making the comparison between then and now is really important. The fact that post-class parents, even though they didn't have any education, were pushing their, their children, helped create a focus, I think, within William Holtzclaw to push forward and expand his reach. It helped him later to approach Booker T. Washington and yeah. ask to go to Tuskegee, even though he couldn't afford it, just like they couldn't afford anything else. And then that compare that to now, we have students coming to us that can't, yeah. can't afford it. Uh, yeah. Their parents can't. But that does not stop us from reaching out like he did to help those students. It doesn't stop us from trying to reach out to the parents and, and encourage them to keep encouraging their students. So when we look at this story like you're looking at it, mm -hmm. it just it just is, is inspiring to me about uh, how he came from, quote unquote, nothing 
and we have people who perceive themselves as coming from nothing, but we can encourage them like his parents did, like he did with the students who were here to push forward. That's so great. As so, that is so true. And we do have people doing that. However, because our perception and perspective have expanded so beyond what Dr. Hoseclaw was dealing with, then sometimes we get caught up in legalism, you know, the systems mm. like affirmative action that was supposed to have you know, been created or to help people of color get more, you know, things to be more equalized in, for admission and working on board. However, we do find that Hoseclaw, like us, had a, and when I say us, I'm talking about those who had many members in their families, as I did whose parents, a main focus was to get an ed education. When one gets an education, he does better in life. And mm -hmm. they wanted us to do better than they did. Williams' uh, parents wanted them to succeed and be able to, I'm sure, this school that he had his mind focused on after he saw Booker T. Washington plan especially became just a just a total almost an obsession. However, mm -hmm. as we begin to look back at our chapter, we mm -hmm. uh, see that Hoseclaw had so many and when we say obstacles, he had some devastating obstacles because his father had to go out and go away just to earn a little bit of money for the the family's keep. That didn't stop them. And when I look at this now, Jean, I think about how we are not, the, the boys and girls, the men and women now are not stopped because there may have been a death in the family. You have people coming to their rescue you have those beloved people who fall in love with you and at schools and they know of your reality. Right. And so they call on you and they offer you certain kinds of resources to assist in getting that education that you need in order to pay it forward, carry right. out those you know those situations and and struggles that you have just walked through that you have crawled through mm -hmm. and that's what booker t did for just to be there to allow will to come to school when will uh, wrote a letter to booker t just addressed with his name on there you're, you are so right when you talk about how yeah. Booker T. Washington encouraged him and uh, yeah. provided the impetus for him to move forward and to expand what he thought his his efforts would be in the in the field of education. So yes, that's right, and that's right, and that was that's so important. I think that 
getting Will to that school just expanded his, you know, whole horizon. When he walked out there that day, you know, the first of us, the first day that he walked, it was the second day on campus, but the first day, how he saw all of the curriculum, the programs in action. And it was just overwhelming to him. I think he used the word bewildered. And just, I imagine he looked at the girls and they were picking berries and probably do sewing, what have Mm -hmm. maybe not sewing because they wouldn't have the machines out there. But some other things they were doing, they probably were, you know, I would say whatever it was, it was in the kitchen. You know, they had these these particular, you know, jobs assigned, Uh divided among, you know, roles. They had the roles Mm -hmm. of men and women in these. But when he saw that, how many oxen spread across there and had those wagons ready to go to the sawmill and oh just so much cane i believe he had the that was sugar cane and all Mm -hmm. of these kinds of foods agricultural you know uh, progressions that have that were made on that campus out to serve other people and feed them. Booker T knew that this was a, well, I won't say a consummation, a very good summation of the dream that he was following. And that's what we do when we want to, you know, get our minds, our hearts, our souls on into a particular area mm-hmm. and we do all that we can do and we are not satisfied until it is the right fit for us right and right. we are going to have many people helping us I, I looked at jackson state the other day how sometimes when the students may come back and they may not have housing on campus and the people in, in control may have underestimated the number of students mm-hmm. will come, but they get other housing right. for those people off the campus, uh, on the campus, or uh, in the neighborhood. And mm-hmm. those students, they continue to just fight for what they want. Right. And though we have many, many people we are not looking at just, we don't have that tunnel vision that we have because education, believe it or not, has made us spread wide and mm-hmm. see people in all of their situation. And with that in mind, we do have great resources and ideas that really make us successful in that which we are set out to do. And that was no different for Will, except his resources were so very limited. We know that there were some funny things that happened. Funny things happened to us when we first go off to college. Mm -hmm. We don't have the uh, clothes to wear for, but we see others. And Will, of course, were probably in a little better situation than many of us who go off to these big schools some of Mm -hmm. us even go to ivy league schools but people are so now dressed 
down. And when I say dress down, we don't just to put on certain things that that were expected of Will. Will, I think, had to wear us. Did he have to wear a suit when he yes. could? He had to dress up in a tie. And I remember when he left home, he had his neighbors and friends. Many of them were very encouraging. But, you know, there were some of the neighbors who were talking about, oh, you don't need to go. This old school, old Baptist school's going to yeah. do nothing but give, feed you bread and water and cornbread at that. <laughs> right, right. They did. They were discouraging some of them. So, yeah. yeah, it's quite discouraging. And Will was kind of moved by that, but it was something within him. I call it. A, a plan. I call it God's plan for his life. Uh -huh. And with that in mind, he could not stop because there was the spirit within him moving him on to that goal. Uh -huh. And that goal was accomplished when well, that particular, let's say that one objective was uh -huh. accomplished when his dad freed him. We yeah. remember how dad freed him. On Christmas, wasn't it? Christmas morning. Wasn't that something? <laughs> and uh, his mother, he thought that his dad was crying and his mom. We know that his mom and he and, and Will himself. But uh, another thing which happened, the dad was so broken up because he had to tell his son that he was not going to get anything better than he had if he stayed there with him. Mm -hmm. And I believe this the oldest sister, who was such a beloved member of the family, had passed away too during that time. They experienced mega troubles in their lives and they didn't have any resources to assist them. But at any rate, this through the providential powers of God, this family made it, and they made it because the mother, the dad, I remember Will said that he had never seen his father come before the altar. And this particular time, after the sister passed, after they had been independently farming, that is mm -hmm. so important, that they had, I won't say failed, because they didn't because of the daddies not knowing how to manage and the uh, sharecroppers, the plantation owners didn't give them any, you know, I guess you would call them mentees. They mm -hmm. didn't know how to do it and the crops did not work out. That was four years. Now, Jean, mm -hmm. I tell you what I saw in these attempts. You know, there were four attempts, this family to succeed. All four failed. But then I see a determined William H. Hoseclaw when he set out to found the Black school in the South. He did those attempts. You know, they would call him back to work mm -hmm. at the school in Snow Hill, Alabama. He mm -hmm. would come back. And one time he left and he said, I won't be back this time, but yeah. he didn't come back. His colleagues saw him back and they kind of funny. And you know how they tease one another. Yeah. But I see a man who had unstoppable courage. And with this courage, he set out to get that institution 
of learning for black boys and girls in the South. And he right. came as far as Utica. And right. that's when all of these, I see his early attempts to establish Utica Normal and Industrial Institute. Because when he got here, we know that it was an effort to get the black men to trust him. And you know, the white men were uh -huh. not so very trustworthy, but you had some who were understandable and uh -huh. allowed a little money here and there. But you also had some black men who began to come and, you know, just support him mm -hmm. with their land. There were some black men who had land. And of uh -huh. course, I knew some of the children from those uh, landowners. In fact, there's one young man here today. They are still here. One of the young ladies were in our library, you know, area, district. And so she but she passed away a few years ago. What family was that, Miss Elm? Oh, the family was a Scott family. Her name was Rosa Barnett. Did you oh, know Rosa? Okay. I remember y'all talking about Miss Rosa Scott. Okay. So she is one of the families who had land. Her dad had land. And okay. of course, he served as our janitor. Okay, look, John Page's grandfather. Okay. Huh? And I believe Mr. Dallas was his grandfather. Wow. So he got those, he got as many men as he could. The Mr. McCadney. Pleasure McCadney. You know, uh -huh. The building that's named after him. Mm -hmm. They they rewarded those men uh with buildings named after them, especially those who, you know, contributed resources, donated right. resources. And they became members of that Black Belt Society uh -huh. and uh, the Farmers Conference. That was so exciting to me as a student because I was not able to, you know, just identify the full consequence of that. Mm -hmm. But I was I was just excited to see so many visitors on campus. My uncle would come and we would say, wow, wonder what Uncle Kevin, they say he has land. That's why he is there today. And so they are bringing little communities in, especially. And anybody was invited, especially the Black men, because mm -hmm. he was teaching in that farmer's conference. Not only was Ms. Hosekaw's idea was to utilize the farm animals in 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 barbecuing you know the yeah i guess did whatever it was the beef and mm -hmm. the and the pork all of that good stuff and so he they had all of them to come because it it grew into a full-fledged program uh -huh. where people came and uh, talked about how to you know, how to learn, how to do this, how to make cakes, how to till your soil and make uh -huh. it healthy and all of these things. And Mr. Hostclaw was very instrumental in utilizing steps, you know, uh -huh. in all of his development of uh -huh. this great institution. 
please ask me a question. I know I'm off. I know I'm off. <laughs> no, ma'am. I am enjoying it because you are doing exactly. This is exactly the kind of response and input I was expecting and hoping that I would get in, in some of these chapters. So, no, I'm not stopping you because I'm going, yeah, she's just going right along. Yes, ma'am. We're, we're, about, we're about ready to close it up because you've covered a lot. You've covered his time with the sharecropping. You know, you've covered his time with his family when his father got, had to leave. You've covered the time where he got to Tuskegee and was in awe of what he saw there. And I'll have to tell you this little side story. My first trip to Tuskegee with the HBCU Library Alliance, I got there and it was overwhelming. It was like going to the mother campus because that's exactly what it is. Yes. And I was I was so enamored of this place that when I came back, I wanted to take people with me because I want them to feel that, too, and maybe get energized and excited. And so when we have people come to this campus and we start telling them host cloth story, yeah. I want to see that same energy and excitement like you're talking about, Ms. Al. Yes, yes. Beautiful. Thank you for tuning in for Sips from the Sip. Join me next time for a reading of Chapter 3 of William Holtzclaw's Black Man's Burden. This program is supported by donations from our listeners. If you enjoy learning about the history of William Holtzclaw, the Utica Institute, and Mississippi, consider donating. To support Sips from the Sip and all the work of the Utica Institute Museum, visit uticainstitute.org forward slash donate. Until next time, this has been Jean Green coming to you from the heart of the Sip.